Thank you, band. How's everyone doing? Everyone's doing amen. Awesome. That is very cool. Very cool. Well, I'm excited to be here. I hope you're excited to be here. There's no other place I'd rather be on Sunday morning than in church. And I hope that you feel the same way. I'm excited about what we're talking about today. Who's enjoying The Call? The series, The Call. Who's in an e-group at the moment going through the series? Show, show, show of hands, be brave, be brave. Oh man, more of you need to get in e-groups. More of you need to get in e-groups. Sunday, what we're talking about on Sundays are awesome, but it's even better when you combine that with what we're talking about in small groups. So if you're not part of one, I encourage you, join one or even host one. Host one. Host an e-group. It's really simple um, and it will, it will do you well. It will do you well. So uh, the call. We're talking about the call. What am I here for? What on earth am I here for? We've talked about, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, Jordan talked about we are called to relationship with God. We're called to just be. Before anything else, we are called to just be. God created us for relationship with Him and to be with Him. And it's out of that that everything else flows in our life, which is great. We've also talked about mission, and we had the amazing Pastor Lyle Penisula last week. And if you missed that, I encourage you to jump on SoundCloud and check out the sermons there. Talked about mission, the fact that we're all on mission for God, whether that's a short-term mission, which I hope a number of us have been stirred to consider or to, to choose this year or next year, but also that actually we're called to mission in our everyday life. And uh, we're, I'm picking up a little bit on the back of that and talking about our career. I'm talking about our day-to-day life. And whether you're a mum or whether you're a student or you're working in the corporate world or you're working at a factory, wherever you're working, uh, that's, that's, the, that's what I'm talking about, the career. So it's not just the lawyers and the politicians and the like, typical career. It's whatever you do. From 9 to 5, Monday to Saturday, what you do, that's what I'm talking about today. And uh, many of you know that I have just recently married the beautiful Emily, well now Marwani. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, having been married for two months now, I have found my purpose in life. Uh, I'm, I'm one for purpose. I've been thinking about it for the last three, four years quite significantly and, uh, and, and I've found my purpose, discovered my life's calling is to eat my wife's cooking and get fat. And I am excited about that. Uh, her cooking is amazing. If you haven't tried it, come around for dinner. It is phenomenal. It is amazing. I know it sounds impossible, many of you who know me, for me to get fat. Uh, I accept the challenge. I accept the challenge. I will endeavor to prove you wrong. Uh, very cool. So we're talking about career. Where is God in the middle of our career? Where is God in our day-to-day life? Does the Bible have anything to say about the majority of our life? Because if we think about it, Sunday's awesome. Sunday's great, absolutely. And actually, everything we preach on Sunday will apply in your life. But today we're speaking specifically for our nine-to-five, our, our career, our, our vocation, if you will. And I really believe that the Bible does have a lot to say about that. So we're going to explore that today, uh, and I really believe God's going to challenge us and lead us into a new sense of calling and purpose in our everyday life. Cool. Well, we're going to start by reading the Bible, because the Bible is good, and we're going to start with our first scripture, which is coming. There it is. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. If you've got a Bible, feel free to open it, or we'll read it on the screen together. This is the NIV version. 
So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Everyone say, glory of God. Glory of God. We're going to look at one other scripture quickly, and then we're going to jump into the rest of the message. Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, everyone say, whatever I do. Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Very cool. Very Two very powerful verses. Let's pray, and then we're going to jump into the rest of it. Father, we thank you that you are you, that you are God, that we are not God. Right now, we choose to focus our hearts on you, focus our attention on you. We pray that you would speak to us, that we would hear your voice. We would, we would come to know you more, Lord, that we would come to find greater purpose in you. Lord, we know that we find our identity in you. We find our life calling, our purpose. Everything is found in you. And so, Lord, today we want to draw closer to you. So we pray, we pray that you draw near to us as we draw near to you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Very cool. Uh, so for those of you who don't know me very well, my name is Alistair. I've been coming to this church for seven years now. Seven years. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? I, I love this church. This church is my home. This church is my family. Uh, I know almost all of you. If you're visiting, welcome. I will come and find you later. I promise I will come and make friends with you. I, 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 love, I love meeting new people. Uh, I grew up in church, was raised by wonderful God-fearing parents right there. They loved me and um, disciplined me and then disciplined me some more um, because apparently I needed it. Uh, who would have thought? Um, but yeah, but like I just mentioned before, I've, I've married the girl of my dreams, Emily, now Marwini, which is pretty cool. And uh, we have zero kids and none on the way. Praise the Lord. That, uh, and uh, don't get me wrong, I love kids. I love kids. I'm, I'm all about kids. And uh, I'm just looking, I'm looking forward to having them one day. But one day is not this day. And I'm enjoying being married without kids uh, right now. Can I get an Amen. Amen. That's right. Uh, that's right. But uh, one of the things I love about not having kids is no tantrums. No tantrums. Well, at least not from the kids anyway. Not from the kids. Um, see, something, um, there's, nothing, there's nothing quite like a, a two-year-old scream that to shatter your peace and quiet on a Saturday morning. So I've heard. I don't actually know. I haven't had to deal with it. Uh, but so I'm loving not having to deal with that. But um, something I secretly love to see is the, is the different types of tantrums that are thrown at parents by little two-year-olds and three-year-olds. And whether you're at the supermarket or you're going walking, there's like a bouncy castle at Cuba Dupa or something like that, and the kids are getting pulled off and they're just hanging to the wall of the bouncy castle. You'll have to take me dead. I'm not coming alive, whatever it is. I, I love it. it. It cracks me up, mainly because I don't have to deal with it. It's not being thrown at me. And one day it will. That's, that's fine. But uh, I love the different types of tantrums. The, the, the jump up and down and scream, the stamping your feet tantrum. I love the fold your arms and sulk tantrum, turning away from you but secretly looking at you cause just, to, just to make sure you're still there. I, I love the run around in circles tantrum. That's, that's, that's from what I've heard. It's a great one, but I don't know. Uh, but my favorite one is one I've never seen before but I've heard about from the, uh, from the McNichol family. It's where you gently lay down as so as to not disturb your poise and then continue 
to fake cry and tap your hands on the ground. And that, for me, is a princess tantrum, if I ever did hear of one. Uh, I, I know I'm going to have a princess daughter, so she'll probably throw tantrums like that. <laughs> but the thing about tantrums, though, is I, see, I used to think that tantrums ended after a certain age. That after you got to a certain age, you, you, you stopped throwing, throwing tantrums. But what I came to discover is that I actually throw very good tantrums myself. I'm just very good at hiding them. I'm very good at hiding them. Not so much from Emily. She's a master of figuring out when I'm not feeling very well, but I don't know how she does it. But from everyone else, and even from myself, I realize I'm actually very good at hiding my tantrums, and I'm still very good at throwing them. See, a couple of months ago, I found myself having a tantrum, having a tantrum I lay myself down carefully on the floor and, no, no, no. No, I I found myself having a tantrum, getting upset at God, getting annoyed, getting frustrated uh, with regards to my working situation. See, I wanted to be a lot of things when I was growing up. I wanted to be an architect for a little while. Mum and dad will remember that. Drew lots of pictures, uh, which was very, very cool. Uh, I wanted to be a fireman, go rescue people, which is cool. I wanted to be a belly dancer until I found out that... No one wants to look at this, really. Well, one person does, but uh, no, one else, no one else does. <laughs> but there was one thing, of all the things I wanted to do, I didn't want to be one thing. A teacher. A teacher. For those of you who know, my dad was a teacher for many, many years. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. It doesn't really matter. But for, one, for some reason, I didn't want to be a teacher. My job now? Music teacher. Go figure. (laughs) Go figure. So I was having a tantrum with God. Why am I doing this thing that for so long I didn't want to do? Why why have I found myself in this situation when I feel like God's called me this way and I'm walking this way? Where are you in the midst of that? Where are you in the middle of my career? Why am I doing this so, what I thought was this meaningless thing, this insignificant thing? I felt like I was wasting my time. I felt like I should be doing something else by now. By now, And I don't know if you've ever felt like that. Have you ever felt like that with your job? Like you're just wasting time. Like it doesn't have any meaning or like there's no purpose or like you feel you should be doing something else or you're stuck doing what you're doing. You just can't get out. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. But um, God took me on a journey and what I learned through that time, through those last, these last couple months, uh, helped me gain a new perspective on what God has actually called me to. I, I, I came to recognize that, yes, maybe there is something bigger for my life or, or, or maybe there's something down the track that I'll step into. But from, for here and now, for today or for tomorrow, actually I have a call on my life in the job that I'm in to do what God has called me to do in that place. And so what we're talking about today, I'm not talking necessarily about the grand scheme of life, the the big things you'll do and the things you'll achieve. I'm talking about what does it mean to 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 live life, to live out our life day to day starting tomorrow. When we go to uh, go to our job or our work tomorrow, when the kids go off to school tomorrow, what does it look like to have God in the midst of that moment? And that's what we're talking about today. So I, I discovered two things, or God uh, spoke to me about two things that have changed the way I view my job, the way I view my career. Two, two practical points that has led to a change. Two practical points and a change. And I want to share those with you today. So uh, Maddie, I'm going to get you to chuck up that first scripture up on the, 
uh, uh, up on the screen again. And my first point for today is all the work is a call. All work is a call. And we read this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. See, we, if, if we have been created to bring, God, uh, bring glory to God, which we have, and we can bring God glory in the small, seemingly mundane things like eating or drinking, which this scripture tells us that we can, then even the most insignificant job or task or role that we do in our everyday life is a call from God. Every task, however secular or menial or simple or small or seemingly insignificant, falls within the sphere of Christ because it all brings glory to God. He has ordained it. Martin Luther, uh, not um, Martin Luther King Jr., not him, Martin Luther, the great reformer, uh, of the Reformation, he, he got a hold of this. And you might know that in the Reformation, there was, uh, the, there was the battle cry or the rally cry around the Reformation, which is, we are saved by grace through faith, not by works. And that's, that's important and, and, and absolutely. But there was, there was also a second, a second battle cry, a second kind of rally point, which you may not know of. And it's, it was called the priesthood of all believers, and uh, see, Luther was a monk for years, and for, for years and years and years, and he was, he was told, a, a Catholic monk, sorry, uh, for years, and he was told uh, over and over again that the, the, the monks and the priests and the, the nuns and those, those, those people who have taken holy orders, they are called by God, and everyone else just does the profane things of life. They just do the menial stuff. They just do the work, the, the tasks of life. But then... Uh, but then when he read this kind of text, he realized, as he put it, that even the milkmaid, even the milkmaid had as honorable a calling as the priest or the preacher. Even the milkmaid. And see, when we realize that this is true, that we are called by God to work, ultimately then, the distinction between the secular and the spiritual breaks down. See, all work is necessary for human flourishing, whether it's high-end law and, and, and justice and, and, or policing or something like that, or as simple as wiping down the bench. See, there are, there are germs on the bench that will kill you eventually if you do not clean your house, spray and wipe, wipe it down, all work is necessary for human flourishing. And so when Paul said we should do everything that we do to the glory of God, right down to the small details of life, eating, drinking, wiping the bench, changing the nappies. I haven't done that one yet, but we will one day. <laughs> and right through the Bible, we can look at some, some really significant characters who have modeled this really well, who weren't necessarily what we would call special or, or, uh, or spiritual or anything like that, until we look back on them. You've got the story of Daniel, who was a government official. Not only that, but he was a government official in a foreign land, as a slave in that, in that foreign land. We've got Esther, who was a nobody woman. 
literally a nobody woman who just got paraded in front of a king and then picked out to be a queen. We've got multitudes of shepherds. We've got Matthew, who was a tax collector, who was in the day the scum of Israel. And these people, God, 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 God called them in their day. One of my favorite ones is of Lydia, a purple cloth merchant. Who, who responded to the gospel, and then through her, the gospel spread to the rest of Europe. She was the first European to get saved. And that's just, that's just awesome. And it's, it was just all, all, uh, all of these people were used by God, called by God to change the world around them, and none of them were special in any way that we would necessarily expect to be used by God. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I let it slip into my psyche that it's all about uh, to be called by God to do God's things, you need to be a pastor, or you need to be a preacher, or it sounds weird me saying that, preaching, right? But it does. It slips into my, it slips into my thinking that I'm doing spiritual things when I have a microphone on stage, and then yet when I'm talking or teaching these kids at, at high school or, at, or at, uni, uh, at primary school, when I'm teaching them, that's just me doing a profane thing. Just, it's just part of my day-to-day, and God's not in that. And it slips in. I don't consciously think that. But it comes out in the, in the way I act, in the way I do my job. And, and, and it's, just not, it's just not right. See, all the different sorts of jobs and giftings, we, we sometimes cut this off uh, between our secular and our spiritual life. But our life is to serve God in everything, everything. And when we come to realize that all work is a calling by God, we start to think differently about our work. We start to think, I'm going to do it differently. Am I not? If I'm called by God to be here doing this, I'm going to do it differently. See, ministry is, is it's, it's all the time. It's not an on-off switch, which I so often get into the habit of falling into, of this is ministry and this is not ministry. Well, that's just wrong in so many ways. Your life is ministry. If, you, uh, if you've responded to the gospel of grace but from, by Jesus Christ, then you are a minister ministering to our world. It's not an on-off switch. So we turn on at Sunday, turn off during the week. It's something that flows out of us into where God has placed us. So we see that in Acts chapter 6 with Stephen, who was just, he was just chosen to wait on the tables. Wait on the tables. Wait on the Tables, and yet it says that uh, he did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. That sounds like ministry to me. It sounds like ministry to me. The second thing I learned during this time is that we're all working for God. We're all working for God. Uh, Maddie, if you want to chuck the second scripture up again, Colossians 3, it says that whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. First, a little bit of background on the text. This, uh, this passage, which is a similar passage to that which is written in Ephesians, the end part of Ephesians chapter 6, I think, uh, is part of a house code that Paul was writing to the church in Coloss uh, that was common in the day. It was, a, it, was, it was instructions about a way of life, how to do life. How to do life. Uh, it would have been to a church that would have met in a house, most likely. Uh, so there would have been 
parents, there would have been servants, there would have been slaves, there would have been children. So there's like a, a house, house code rule. So there's children obey your, your, your parents and everything. Uh, parents, blah, blah, blah. Slaves. And then this is the amazing thing, is that this scripture is addressing the slaves in the household. See, for me, wouldn't it make more sense to say that to the working man in the household? The one who's going to government or going to his, to the market or to, or to whatever, surely that would make more sense that they are doing the important work or the important work that they are doing should be done for the Lord. But here, no, Paul addresses the slaves and says what you do matters. So does how you do it. See, just quickly, uh, first century slaves is something, uh, something quite different to what you or I would think of when we think of slaves. See, when I think of slaves, I think of guys with shackles around their wrists, walking in a line. Most, mo- when I think of slaves, I often think of African or African-American because that's what I've studied in terms of school and whatnot. Uh, but, but first century slaves are a bit different. They're not de- they, it wasn't determined by race. It was often determined about by which country won the war. Whoever, whoever lost the war, you're now our slaves, so we will take you. Uh, it was also not permanent. It was only usually only between 7 to 15 years, and then you could get your freedom. Slaves also had rights. They could actually take their masters to court. They could also own their own property and have their own slaves. So this idea of slavery in the first century, it's different to what we, what we think of slavery. And so while I'm not saying it's a good institution, hear me, I'm not saying that. Uh, what I am saying is that uh, it was different to what we think Slave, what we think of when we think of slavery, and nor is Paul justifying slavery in this context. He's not, he's not saying slaves, there should be slaves, you should be a slave. He's not saying that at all. What he's saying is when you wake up tomorrow, act like this. When you go to work, act like this. Do your work like this. See, and we could ask the question, what relevance does a scripture to first century slaves have for me, have for you, have for us? And I would say quite a bit. So let me ask you something. Have you, have you ever been hard-pressed at work? Have you ever been humiliated or embarrassed at work? Just not quite been able to do the job properly? Have you ever felt like you work, 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 work? Study, study, study. Change nappy, change nappy, change nappy. (laughs) And you just still can't earn enough. You still can't just get by. Ever feel like you've been treated unfairly by a boss or a co-worker? See, I would say that what Paul writes here to first century slaves is applicable to us because he wrote it to first century slaves. See, a number of us spend every day of our life feeling like this. And then the rest of us will have felt like this at some point, or we will feel like this at some point. Work is hard. Work is hard. Amen. I get an amen. So what is it saying? What is it saying to us? Quite literally, quite literally, this scripture is saying that all the work you do, you are actually doing it for Christ, like literally for Christ. Not just as if you were working for Christ, but you're kind of not. 
So it's a little bit of a paradox. No, you are working for Christ. Everything you do is for Christ. That's what Paul's telling us. He's saying that everything we do, we're doing it for the Lord. No matter, it doesn't matter who our earthly boss is. Jesus Christ is our ultimate master. So if everything we do is for Jesus, everything has meaning. And the way we do it matters, whether it is seen or unseen. Sure, some work is more skilled, some work is more valuable. Yes, you pay your doctors more than you pay the garbage man because you want him to do a very, 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 very good job. Garbage is not so important, but it is still necessary. It is still important. Uh, And everything, everything has value when we realize that we do it for Jesus. So he has called us, and so we work for him. Therefore, everything has meaning. Everything has a purpose. When we realize that we have not only been called by God to be where we are, doing what we're doing around the people who are there, but that we are doing everything for him, we start to see our job differently and we start to approach our work differently. What do I mean? I mean three things. Number one, overwork. Number two, underwork. Number three, influence. Number one, overwork. Number two, underwork. Number three, influence. See, there's two common approaches to work in the world. Overwork and underwork. Overwork says I need to prove myself. I need to make myself. I need to be someone or something. It's all up to me. It's, it's, it, it's how hard I work. No one's going to help me. I need to do everything for myself. I need to make myself. And so I work hard. I put in extra hours. I go in early. I sacrifice time with my family. I sacrifice time with my kids. I sacrifice my day off. I work, I work, I work because it's all up to me. I need to work. And underwork is the opposite. It says, I don't want to be working. <laughs> I don't enjoy the job. I only work when I'm being watched or if I, get, if I know I'll get checked up on. So I'll only do the minimum. I'm just doing what it takes to get through because my boss sucks. This isn't a fair job. I didn't want this job anyway. I'll just do the minimum. I'll just coast. I'll just get through. I'll just get through. But see, when we, when we come to a realization of what it means to work for the Lord, it does these three things. On the one hand, it destroys overwork. So if you do your work, but people don't notice, or you don't get that breakthrough, or you don't get those grades, you don't get into the school you wanted to get into, you don't, you don't make it, who cares? All that matters is what Christ thinks. See, there will come a time when everything will be gone except what Christ thinks. It's a remedy for overwork. But what about underwork? What about those who despise their work? or their boss, or who find it hard with what they're doing and and who just do the minimum to get by. To them it is saying, hey, your real supervisor is always watching. And by the way, he already loves you for who you are. He already thinks the world for you. Therefore, you must do your best job for him. You must always work with all your might. You must always work wholeheartedly. Do it for Him. It's a remedy for underwork. And finally, we gain influence. A story I love in the Bible is that of Daniel. I mentioned him before. See, Daniel was, uh, he was a captive of Babylon, and he was handpicked 
from Israel as one of the slaves, as one of the captives, to serve in the government of the nation that had stolen him. And here he was in a foreign country with no family around him in a culture that did not recognize or honor his God. I don't know about you, but to me, that sounds like a lot of our workplaces. And yet he operated from a position of doing everything for God. Everything for the glory of God. He did it for him, and he did it as serving God. And it says in Daniel 6, chapter 3, sorry, chapter 6, verse 3, Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. See, when we, when we honor God in our work, doing everything for him, we gain influence in our land. And this is my prayer for all of us over this month, but also the, the rest of the year. Come on, my prayer is that we would do a, a, our work to the glory of God for him, that we would gain influence in our city and ultimately our nation, ultimately the world. Isn't that what God's called us to? See, we're talking about mountains at the moment, and we're asking people to choose a mountain. Choose a mountain. And thankfully, they're not mountains to climb. Can I get an amen? Amen. But they're mountains to move. They're mountains of influence. They're uh, arts and entertainment, uh, education, government, health, business, sports, family, media, and the church. And these are, these are mountains in our society. They're pillars in our society. And God has placed us strategically to have influence in the city. Have influence in the city. See, when you're working, are you believing for increased influence? To see your mountain shifted? Are you believing for change? See, I, had this, I had this revelation when I, when I, when I was, as I was teaching. I had a, a string of students. I, I, I teach drums Mainly, mainly drums privately and uh, on a music bus, which is pretty cool, I must admit. Uh, but I teach instruments to, to kids. And the amount of kids who come through the door who have low self-esteem, and by the way, I teach drums, so it's like 95% of them are guys too, which is not what I was expecting. The amount of kids who apologize to me when they get something wrong in the drum lesson, I was just like, wow, what, where does that come from? Where does that come from? But I have this opportunity to influence their lives. As a, a, as a young person following Christ, I might be the only person my age who ever has an impact in their life. And, uh, ever. Ever. And I have this opportunity to influence them, to, to build them up, to encourage them, to say, no, you're awesome. You're doing well. I'm pushing you because I believe in you, not because I want to embarrass you. I have this option to to, to influence them, to, 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 uh, to move that mountain. See, viewing our work as the call that it is and coming to a place of wanting to work for Christ brings about a change in us. Uh, I'm just going to invite Patti to come tinkle on the guitar. 11.20, got, got a few more minutes. See, this brings me back to, uh, to the change. Number three, this changes us. This changes us. When we realize that all work is a call, and that we're all working for Christ, or we're all working for God. Number three, this changes us. On the one hand, work suddenly becomes more important. It becomes full of meaning. 
And at the same time, we start to see the people around us and the people that we work with as Christ sees them because we understand that we're not there on accident. When you go to work tomorrow morning, you're not there by accident. The people around you who are having a bad week, a bad day, a bad month, by no accident are you there. God has placed you there. And he's, he's, he's saying to you, be my hands and feet. Show my love for this person. Show this love that I've shown you to them. But even beyond this, we step into a new reality of what it looks like to work the way God has destined us to work. See, Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses 19 and 20 uh, Jesus is taught, it's the calling of the, of the first disciples. Uh, Jesus is calling some disciples to come and follow him. And he says this, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. See, it would be easy to just think, to read this and just think, oh, I just need to give up my job and go on mission. I just need to give up my job and work for church. That's not, that's not what this verse is, is saying. Yes, it was, Jesus was saying this to these men. Yes, absolutely. But there's a greater truth that Jesus was saying that goes beyond this. See, Timothy Keller is a, um, a pastor in New York City, and we've done a couple of his series. The Gods at War was based on one of his books. And, uh, and he, he interprets this passage. He says this, Jesus says to the fishermen, leave your nets and I will make you fishers of men. What he's saying is I have a fishing beyond fishing. I have an art beyond art. I have a business beyond business. I want you to rest your heart in real wealth, in real beauty. I want you to rest your heart in me. See, when Jesus died on the cross for us, he died for our whole life not just for our spiritual life. This is why our day-to-day is so important, because it's important to Him. He died for it. And when you understand the call that God has for you, for your career, for your vocation, and you understand that He's called you by His grace to do great things, good works for Him, you won't have any trouble picking up your nets and doing your best, and you won't have any trouble putting them down and walking away. The truth is, you are where you are for a reason. And and what I really believe we need to ask ourselves today is what does it look like to be a Christian in my job tomorrow? What does an equipper's doctor look like? What does an equipper's engineer look like? What does an equipper's musician look like? An equipper's student? An equipper's mother? What do our values look like when, we, when they're outworked in the world around us, in our day-to-day lives? What does it look like to honor in my job? What, if you're a musician, what does honor look like? What does reach out look like? What does excellence look like in your work? What does it look like to honor your boss who treats you unfairly? What does it look like to serve your kids and family as a stay-at-home mom and to reach out to the wider community around you through that? What does it look like to serve those other families when you're tightly pressed yourself, to put them above yourself? What is God saying to you about your job? Have you treated it as menial, insignificant? 
What about how you're going about your job? Have you become lackadaisical? Just treating it casually? You're just doing the minimum to get by? Or have you put your, uh, too much pressure on yourself to perform, to earn something that you've already received in Christ? Come on, why don't we all stand to our feet? I want to invite you to stand. I'm just going to read one more quick uh, passage of Scripture, which is, I, I believe has a great prophetic sound. It's, uh, then I'm going to hand back over to Jordan. It's, it's from Zechariah, and it's talking about the fulfillment of the kingdom. This return from, from, from uh, Jews from captivity coming in, where everything comes back into shalom, into completeness, to peace, to harmony. And it comes in. And this is the day we look towards. But not only look towards, it's, it's the day that we're part of ushering in every day. This is what we're on about, ushering in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of, is within us, Jesus told us. And we carry that into every day. Everything is about coming under the sphere of Christ. So right across this place, why don't you close your eyes. Let's let, let's let the sound of God, this prophetic sound from Zechariah, wash over us. Let's let it challenge us as I read it today. On that day, holy to the Lord will be inscribed on the bells of the horses and the cooking pots in the Lord's house, house will be like the sacred bowls in front of the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and Judah, Judah will be holy to the Lord Almighty. And all who come to sacrifice will take some of the pots and cook, on, cook in them. On that day, holy to the Lord will be inscribed. It'll be inscribed on engineers' calculators. It'll be inscribed in mothers' prams. It'll be inscribed in sportsmen's shoes. It'll be inscribed on everything that God has positioned us in and to.